Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. 2020 has been a year where it seems like no matter what you plan to do, it didn't happen. Lots of well-planned, expected activities have not gone on. The birding world is no different. My guest today was also the guest on episode number 31 of the Bird Banner podcast back in September of 19. And we talked about his plans for a one for one of the most unique birding big years I've ever heard about. John Patton Moss came to Olympia, Washington, at the very end of 2019, to begin his big year right here in the Puget Sound area. He started there traveling on a 36-inch wheel unicycle to begin a big year powered by himself on his unicycle and on his feet where he was going to travel from Olympia down the west coast across the southern U.S. to end up at his home in Georgia and do that over the course of a year and see how many birds he could see. Well, we all know what happened to the best laid plans of 2020, but it's a cool story and he's back to tell us how it went. I've had several guests on the Bird Banner podcast who've talked about their birding big year endeavors. In a big year, what, or a big whatever you want to do, uh, is where a person sets parameters for a challenge. They generally choose a geographic location. For example, a county is common, or a state, or a country, or a major birding area, like the ABA birding area, which includes the United States and Canada, and more recently includes Hawaii as part of the United States, or maybe even the whole world. They also set a time for the activity. In a big year, it's usually a calendar year, but it can also be a big day or a big month or really whatever time frame you decide upon. It's really a personal challenge. And then sometimes they set other parameters. Dorian Anderson was my guest on the Bird Banner podcast, episode number five. Dorian famously did his Biking for Birds big year in 2014, starting in New England, uh, south to Florida, across the southern United States, all the way up to Washington, then back through the mountain states, ended up biking an incredible number of miles and seeing way over 600 species. It's a great story, and Dorian was a fabulous guest. Check out the episode if you like. Tammy and David McQuaid were guests on an episode earlier, and they have done big year, lower 48 states, big years, for the last several years. They have a string of multiple years in a row of seeing over 600 species just in the lower 48 contiguous United States, which is a big undertaking. you got to travel around and get around a bit to see 600 species in the lower 48. And they've done it year after year. The cool thing about their story is they weren't even birders when they went to see the big year movie and said, that sounds like fun. Maybe we could be birders and do that sort of thing. And they cut off birding. And from there, they've become top lower 48 birders. Mike Bergen was my episode on guest 56. He talks about his lifelong aspiration to really see as many birds as he can in every one of the lower 48 states. He set a goal of seeing half of the species that are on the state list in every single one of the lower 48 states. And when I talked to him, he was a couple of states away. And I suspect when this COVID pandemic uh, eases off and travel becomes easier, he'll knock off the last couple of states. There have been huge big years uh, worldwide. Uh, Noah Stryker in 2015 and Arjan Dashwurst, I'm butchering that name, I'm sure, in 2016, both broke the existing world record for species seen in a year in the entire world when Noah saw 6,042, way over half the species in the world, and then Arjan shattered that with 6,833 species the next year. Just incredible. 
episodes, uh, undertakings, and a lot of us vicariously followed their undertakings on their blog sites and through the news. It was just fabulous uh, undertaking. I have lots of friends who do county big years. My best birding buddy, Ken Brown, does the last couple of years has done big years in two different counties, Kitsap County and Mason County here in Washington. Brad Wagner, my guest in episode number 34, challenged himself every year to find as many species of bird as he can in his home county of Kitsap County, and every year he comes up with a fabulous number of birds. Uh, Bruce Labar, good friend from Tacoma, and lots of my friends here in Tacoma, we challenge ourselves to get out and see as many birds as we can here in Pierce County, Washington, every year. And I know that happens in many of the counties throughout the U.S. That said, I'm pretty sure no one but John Patton Moss is undertaking a big year powered only on a unicycle. It's a cool story, so let's get on with how it went. Help me welcome John Patton Moss back to the Bird Banner Podcast, episode number 77. John, welcome back to the podcast. I looked back at my notes. You were last on, uh, we did a, a September 3rd, 2019, a little over a year ago. You were my guest when you were planning a unicycle big year. And I followed it a little bit on your blog and, and read one post about it on Dorian Anderson's blog. So I have a little bit of an idea of little snippets of how it went. But even though it didn't quite, COVID kind of got in the way and it didn't all perfectly pan out, still must have been quite an adventure. Tell me about, tell me about your adventure. Yeah, it's good to be back. I, I mean, until you said it just now, I can't believe it's been over a year. I mean, a lot has happened in a year, but I did have a great adventure. Although it was reduced and it, it didn't happen as I planned it to be, I had a, a really wonderful time out west seeing new parts of the country that I'd never seen, seeing new birds, and uh, I feel fortunate for what I did get to experience. Yeah, it, it started off really with a bang. Uh, the last day of 2019 was really yucky in Olympia, Washington, nasty. I went out with a local Audubon group and uh, did this Nisqually National Wildlife Refuge and kind of got a feel for the place. And then I hit the ground running on the first on a really, really beautiful day out there and uh, just, just set the pace for a really good start. Yeah, and had really good momentum carrying on headed south. Okay, so you started in Olympia, and did you bird that January 1st a little Olympia before you hit the road, or did you just get up and go? Yeah, I did. I, I just, I made a short trip without my gear um, to start the first to go to the National Wildlife Refuge, birded around, and then headed back to where I was staying. So I didn't start traveling until the next day. And, okay. And that's, that's kind of how the year went. I would, I would post up in different, or not the year, the, the trip went, I would establish a little headquarters, bird from that area, and then I would intersperse them with travel days and, and have long days on the road with not much birding. Sure. Yeah. As we talked before, imagine listeners trying to bird while you're riding a unicycle. I mean, even in a car, we all, we cruise along, we're pointing out hawks and things on wires and stuff. Uh, and even on a bicycle, you can glance around and look at things, but on a unicycle, you pretty much got to have eyes on the road or you're on the road. I mean, it, there's no room for daydreaming. It seems like. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's total focus all the time. And that's true. I had precious few yearbirds from the unicycle, but I did have a few, some interesting ones like Gray Jay I first saw while I was riding. Okay. Um, yeah. I kept a little list of, of yearbirds from the uni, but mostly I was on foot, you know, birding in a classic fashion, walking around a park or a, a wildlife refuge or, you know, a beach, that sort of thing. Sure. Where did you say Canada Jay now? They've changed its name. When, when did you yeah. see your Canada Jay? 
I saw that guy in Northern California. Uh, I was on oh, a back okay. road. I, I believe that was in Northern California. I don't think it could have been. Um, I missed it a couple times in Oregon. Maybe no, it was in Southern Oregon because I was on the cycling route, just in the backwoods, and they just kind of gracefully flew in front of me. It was a nice special moment. Very nice. So describe your route a little bit to me. You started in, in Olympia. Did you head straight for the coast or how did you go from there? Yes, I did. I I went directly west towards Westport um, mm-hmm. and just beeline for the coast to find the flattest ground possible. And actually, sure. at that point, early on in January, I had to outrun a little mini snowstorm. Ooh. And I, I ended up on Long Beach, Washington. It did snow. It was the only time I saw snow. But You're lucky. It, it, I know. I got really lucky. It didn't hold me back. And then from there, I blazed south. Uh, I crossed the bridge into Astoria, Oregon. That was that was a very interesting crossing, that four-mile bridge, the, the Megalith uh-huh. Bridge. Yeah, is there a... Is there a- pedestrian lane and i don't know if there is even how did you did you have to drive in traffic on that or yeah that was a nightmare that is one of the most narrow bridges i've ever been on it's illegal to walk on it no sidewalk no bike lane people cycle it but you're supposed to be on your bike i i was too scared i walked against traffic and i didn't want to fall over the guardrail it was really windy (laughs) It took me like, I mean, it took a long time to walk that well, four I'm sure. miles. Oh, an hour and a half, I'm sure. But yeah. dragging a unicycle along, yeah. And it ended up, people called the police. They thought I was, I don't know what they thought I was, some kind of vagrant. But, stealing, uh, half a, stealing half a bicycle or something, yeah. Yeah, actually I did pick <laughs> up a license plate on the bridge that was confiscated by the police officer. So <laughs> that was my run-in with the law, but... Uh, he the the officer was super nice. He offered me a ride. And I, you know, I was doing that. Uh, I was doing a carbon free, strictly right. carbon free. So I, I told him that, and he he let me go. It was it was Good. an interesting introduction to Oregon. My first time in Oregon. Yeah, very cool, very cool. You got stopped by the police before you set foot on Oregon terra firma. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Anyway, so then you headed down. You went down 101. I think it's 101 in Oregon. That's a beautiful, beautiful road. Oh, it was one of my favorite parts of the trip. I mean, the weather was temperamental, but it's a great cycling road, huge wide shoulder. I mean, just everybody is accustomed to cyclists, and I had a really good time. It is a, a very scenic and beautiful road, and the warm showers network I was using, there were so Mm -hmm. many hosts because they see so much cycle traffic. I I had a good time in Oregon. I bet you did. Did you, did you find any, uh, uh, hosts who are birders at all? I, yes, I did. My first were in Cannon beach. Eric and Hannah Ostrander reached out. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. They they have a pod, they have a podcast too. Yeah, they do. And they man they're super nice they were like the first birders i stayed with they put me up in there they run a little boutique hotel there right and they took me out to dinner and you know i was i was several weeks in it was it was so nice to be back in the company of birders i bet (laughs) yeah i i stayed south with uh some georgia birders i knew steve and rachel holtzman and then 
later on I stayed with Rebecca and Walt. So I had a I had a couple birder hosts and that was that was really helpful in Oregon. Yeah. Little local knowledge can pick you up a species here and there for your big year too, I bet. Oh yeah, it did. When I ran into uh Steve and Rachel, they knew my year list and we just like tried to knock stuff out and uh we picked up I picked up some good stuff with them, that local knowledge for sure. So you, you know, you're traveling, if you're kind of riding a day, birding a day, you're probably covering 20 miles a day max. I mean, counting the days off. I mean, uh, so it took a while to get out. Or that is a long Uh road, that 101 in Oregon. Yeah. I think it's like 360 miles or something. Yeah. It, it, I, I've driven it a couple of times and it just, just goes on and on. It's beautiful, but it's it's a long road. And, and very windy when I was there. It was, I've never felt wind like that in my, in my life. Just yeah. cr- crazy headwinds. Uh-huh. <laughs> I bet it was. Uh, were Were there any uh, special birds uh, along the coast of Oregon that you got? Uh yes, I had some of my best surprises early on. There, I picked up a snow bunting near Manzanita. Nice. That wasn't even on my radar, but people had been reporting them along the beach. Mm-hmm. And I have so much respect for that bird because when I went out onto that beach, I I mean you can't stand there for 15 minutes without being way over it. It's so windy and nasty and yeah. snow buntings are just right at home, but welcome, welcome to Pacific Northwest birding <laughs> in the winter. Yes. By the time I made it to Tillamook, Oregon, it was nice and warm and sunny. And I had a surprise Harris's sparrow there. That was, Oh, good. Yeah. I, again, not a bird I expected to see at all. Did you find that on your own or was it a kind of eBird stakeout thing? Well, I was kind of, I was having a rest day and I went to eat at the dairy and I, I looked at local hotspots, saw a pretty good one and just went to bird. And it, I think uh, it's a bird that had been there on and off like lat in 2019, but hadn't been reported in 2020. So it was oh, good. a pretty good shot. Yeah. Nice for you. Nice for yeah. you. Such a good. distinctive Oh, cool sparrow. they are really cool. We usually get first first winter birds out here. It was probably not a full adult male, but yeah, yeah, still they're they're really cool birds. And then maybe another notable bird was uh, was lucky to get a black legged kid awake birding with a another Georgia birder because I'm from Georgia. She came right. out and birded near Honeyman State Park, and we we picked up two kid awakes. Just crazy close views in an estuary. It was really nice yeah good in the winter they're possible but you gotta you gotta be in the right place at the right time down here yeah so uh you you uh kind of worked your way down through oregon any other memorable stops there or places that were especially cool you know to be honest by the time i got about halfway through oregon i was just booking it to california because i had gotten pretty much everything i could get in oregon and i was ready in my mind, crossing the border into California would bring, you know, sunshine and rainbows, and <laughs> it kind of did. It was it was weird, oh, cool. but I I spent a lot of time in the the second half of Oregon just really riding long days and and trying to get out of there. Sure, I um, mean that's that has to be a you know if you're going to undertake a long road trip like you were, 
uh, that's got to be a part of it is just putting three or four days of, uh, you know, 30, 40 mile days behind you to cover some ground. Exactly. Good. Uh, so by the time you got to California, you were ready to do some birding. You, you'd been uh, pedaling and pedaling. Yes, I, I definitely was. And uh, Northern California was not what I expected. Leading up to this trip, I had never been to Washington, never been to Oregon, and only been to LA area. So oh, yeah, I was really most looking forward to the front end of the of the big year. And sure, I'm lucky that I experienced all those places that I had never known before. Mm-hmm. Riding into California, I was ready to see some birds, ready to see the redwoods, and uh-huh. I made a key change in my approach to the whole thing. I finally picked up a tent and oh. a sleeping bag because the weather it, it was compatible with camping. And that just, that made everything so much easier, more enjoyable. The logistics were way easier than finding hosts or staying in hotels. It was cheaper. Yeah. So California cool. was like. Yeah, it gives you flexibility. I mean, you know, if you find a host that's 15 miles off the road you want to be on, that's a whole day of travel. <laughs> to get yeah. there and back on a unicycle exactly I mean, yeah so uh it's not like not like when you're driving a car oh it's a yeah 15 minute drive i'll just bop over there yeah not happening when you're uh, pedaling at uh, 10 miles an hour oh uh, yeah completely different concept of distance and space <laughs> for sure uh, so y- did you get into the redwoods that's a beautiful place oh, man did i and I kind of, I was kind of on the Pacific cycling route um, until after San Francisco, and I had met cyclists. Uh, I met a really nice guy in Astoria named Brian, and he he hyped up um, the Avenue of the Giants. Oh, which is a little cycling and driving area through the redwoods, mm-hmm. and I, uh, you know, my expectations were kind of low. I was totally blown away just it is, those trees are unbelievable oh my gosh when i got home you know i thought i came from the land of towering pines and i'm like these trees are tiny <laughs> <laughs> yeah they are awesome that is a place uh, everybody ought to go if you get a chance it's it's just crazy so tell me about the cycling route i'm not uh, i'm not a biker so i'm not familiar with a, a particular cycling route through northern california is that near the coast or where is that yeah, I I mean that was another side of the big year. I knew nothing about cycling. Never talked to cyclists, anything like that. And somebody, I think Brian told me about this application. There's like a a bike route navigator. Oh yeah, the Adventure Cycling Association. They publish these these routes throughout America and the one I was mostly on is called the Pacific Coast Bicycle Route. I had an app that was really handy. Of course, Oregon was just 101, but getting into California, it would recommend lots of back roads and it eventually links up with Highway 1 and then just mm-hmm. runs all the way to LA. Sure. Okay. And Very cool. I did some of one, but I diverged after San Francisco. Dorian kind of paved the way for me and and uh, led me down a different path, which really ended up being amazing. So I know you spent a couple of days with Dorian. What time of year are we at now when you met Dorian? It must have been, is it March or February? Yes. Let me check my year list. It, it was definitely, I think it was early March by then. Okay. Um, yeah, early March, the end of February, by the time I made it to San Francisco. And to be honest, at that point, 
I was kind of feeling like I was running on empty, kind of like stagnant, stalemated. And then crossing the Golden Gate Bridge was just like a whole new chapter. And then Dorian was exactly who I needed to see at that point on the trip. Because I had talked to him before, and he was a huge inspiration to me. But seeing him in practice and how he goes about carbon-free birding, cycling, the whole mentality, it was revolutionary. I He... He is a bundle of energy and so smart and so funny. Yeah. And generous. I mean, I stayed with him for, well, I birded with him for like three days and stayed with him for a night or two. I mean, he really looked yeah. after me. He and Sonia really looked after me. Very nice. He he is a really cool guy. And you really, and he travels so much. You're lucky he was in town. I mean, he, oh, yeah. he, he works for Alvaro's Adventures and other uh, other tour companies, I think, and is just traveling a lot. So it, it's good that it worked out. Yeah, I, I really did get lucky. And kind of like Steve and Rachel, he had he knew what targets I needed, and we, we knocked him out. I mean, birding with him, I saw a, over 100 species in his county, and which yeah. is how many species I saw in Washington, period. But yeah, we picked up rock sandpiper, uh, he miraculously spotted a short-eared owl hiding in the marsh. <laughs> and and we got this continuing female tufted duck, which were huge additions to the list. Sure. So so you spent a couple of days with Dorian, kind of recharged your batteries literally. Uh, yeah. yeah, figuratively, I guess, not literally. But, uh, you know, got, got uh, fired oh, no. up again, and fired up again and rested up and uh, birded up. Uh, <laughs> and so how did things go from there? So he, he probably had contacts for you too, I'm oh guessing. Oh my gosh, did he? And I wasn't really sure if I was going to return to the cycling route or take the inland veer to do the Central Valley because right. I, I needed to hit all of those specialties endemics, you know, yellow-billed magpie, tricot, sure. bird. And Dorian encouraged me to go inland. He set me up with a handful of people heading south. He actually arranged for me to meet Debbie Shearwater, which was pretty wild yeah cool she birds she's a hardcore patch birder now and she like regularly birds this one road in uh hollister california uh-huh and she told me just go out there to look for lawrence's goldfinch and tricolored blackbird i, I missed the blackbird and she's like just go out there i'll find you and sure enough she found me and we uh so cool to meet her and we watched Ferruginous hawks and golden eagles and talked for a bit and that was really special yeah she's she's legendary that's for sure the most i knew about her was you know annie ocklet the character in the big year movie <laughs> oh yeah okay so my, I, I've, I've been on a couple of her pelagics many 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 years ago and she is she is a character she's wow. just she they are her pelagic trips no question about it yeah she takes charge yeah. <laughs> and she's landlocked now totally right she doesn't she said she told me she doesn't miss the sea life surprisingly that is surprising so you so you met up with a couple of uh you know legendary birders i'm enduring a legend in his own time so to speak and debbie shearwater cool cool people to meet on your trip uh, and i bet you're the first unicycle birder they met <laughs> yeah yeah i think so and i was lucky i mean I met John Anderson too. I'm sure you know him. He's sure a, from Olympia. Yeah. Yeah. He's a big year birder. He was 
very supportive. You know, he, he chimed in a lot during the trip and I got to share a meal with him. I guess that was last day of 2019. And mm-hmm. yeah, I got to meet some really great birders. I was lucky. I met John yesterday, I think, yesterday, the day before. We have a, a little place here in Tacoma called Dunes Peninsula. It's a brand new park, but it's just a really cool place. And we've been getting a lesser blackback gull there for the last oh, week or so nice. off and on. And he was uh, he was there looking for it. it didn't, I don't I don't think it gave a show that day. It was pretty foggy and hard to see. But anyway, he is a he is a cool guy. Yeah, those, those blackbacks are taking over the world, it seems like. Yeah, they're getting around. So you were in the Central Valley, and you headed south from there, I'm assuming? I did. Um, Dorian encouraged me to, to go to Pinnacles National Park, which... Oh, wow. Yeah. I never even heard of that place. What a place. Did you get condors there? I got condors. Man, I had some strenuous hiking. And <laughs> yeah. Debbie told me all these places to try for Bell Sparrow, and, and it was like... I just sunk hours and hours into looking for it, and, and I actually got it later, very unexpectedly, but I didn't see it there, but Pinnacles was, yeah, I mean, spectacular. Isn't it great? Yeah. Condors are unbelievable. I, I uh, hiked up to the, from the west, the west entrance up to the, uh, there's a place up there near the top or near... It's probably not the top, but near a place that's up high. And I got, they don't fly till, you know, midday, you know, 11 or 12 when they start really getting up and soaring when there's some thermals. Yeah. And, and I'm up there with a whole, there's a whole flock of people up there to see a condor who weren't birders. And they're all looking around like they're looking for a sparrow on the ground. You know, their eyes are down. They can't seem to find a condor. And there are condors just flying overhead. I mean, they're just, you know, 75 yards over your head, these airplane-sized birds. And these people saying, have you seen a condor? And I'm like, (laughs) have you looked up? (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) It was really funny. You forget how fine-tuned you are as a birder. People don't tend to look up, do they? Yeah, it was really funny. I was like, I'm just drooling over these birds you know with their you know eight inch size numbers on their under wings you know everyone, yeah. everyone tagged and labeled you know like have you seen a condor i'm like really gosh yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're they're wild they are crazy big birds <laughs> yeah so you got your california condor that was probably a life bird for you or you had you seen one when you're in arizona no it was a life bird a, a, a bird i'd missed in um at the canyon yeah, they're they're easy to miss anywhere. They have seriously big ranges they cover. I know. That's what the, some ranger there told me. They they routinely go fifty miles, feed on a dead whale, and, and come back to on the coast and come back to Pinnacles. Yeah, and it's no, exactly it's nothing for them. Yeah, well, yeah, you catch a thermal, and <laughs> just glide for a couple hours. Don't even have to flap, you know. Yeah, yeah they. I watched them and the, and they can disappear rapidly. Yeah, they cover serious ground. The oh, yeah. terrain. Yeah, very cool. So you headed south uh, and you went through Pinnacles, one of my favorite national parks. I love Pinnacles. What else? Uh, so from there, what happened after that? So that's where it got kind of tricky. I followed this very flat course and I had kind of stranded myself in between two Mountain small ranges. Yeah. ranges. Yeah. So I had to head back west and cross. I don't even know what range that is and get back to highway one, back to the coast. Mm-hmm. Right. Easy riding, man. That was, that was very difficult terrain. I was in and out of civilization camping. And you know, this is when it got kind of dicey. I, every once in a while I'd stay in a motel and I'd be seeing the news, current events. And then I'd 
flee back into the woods and kind of get away from it all. Sure. And uh, one of my most memorable moments happened there. I hiked up to this campground called Williams Hill, very isolated BLM campground. And I walked on this six mile road with all my gear, camped in this nasty rainy weather, woke up on a super foggy day. And uh, I was feeling pretty downtrodden, dismayed about Corona and how this is going to impact me. Yeah. And I had this miraculous bell sparrow sighting there. It was, it was crazy. The bird hadn't been seen there in decades. I just don't think people bird there much, but yeah, I had that bird. And then I had this crazy downhill off-road ride back down to the valley. Um, mm. It's just a very memorable moment. <laughs> some crazy, some of the craziest unicycling I did on the trip. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you, you had a, you had a touring unicycle, the big wheel. It was not designed for bumpy, rocky, slippery slopes. Probably. It's not, but I'll tell you what's miraculous. I did not have a single tire issue. I wow. had no flats, no punctures. And the tire I was using wasn't new. I mean, it was hmm. the used tire that I bought the unicycle with. Wow. I know it was like a, you're living right. A Kevlar tire, it seemed like. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, so did you make it back to Route 1? I did not. That's that's when the, the swift end came. Um, I made it under my own power to Paso Robles, California, which I had cycled like 1,100 miles. That's the distance from Olympia. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's where I broke, broke my pact with myself and... Got my first Uber, shipped my unicycle, and and hopped on a plane. Yeah, uh, uh, COVID kind of crushed your year there. It sounds like uh, you know if, if if you couldn't, if you pretty much couldn't use your you know couch surfing uh, app. I mean, people couldn't comfortably let anyone in their home, and couldn't go to restaurants, and hotels were even yeah. sketchy. So it just exactly. got yeah, travel and- was just not realistic. And can't, well, in the final blow, and campgrounds, campgrounds were closed. Yeah. yeah. Campgrounds closed. That yeah. was, yeah, that was the one. Well, you know, uh, you probably have the longest unicycle uh, birding trip in the history of the world <laughs> anyway. That, yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. I can have pride <laughs> in that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should have a lot of pride in that. That is crazy cool. I thought I'd take a second here, uh, John. Uh, there have been some crazy ass big year things people have done. I mean, yours has to be up there. I mean, yours has to be up there. I mean, I, I think of Olaf Daniels, Danielson and his nude big year oh, that he yeah. wrote, wrote the book about and Dorian's biking big year, which was just a phenomenal accomplishment. Have you heard of any other sort of insane big years? I'm going to, I'm going to try to do a, do a little research and do an introduction to this episode where I talk about some crazy big years. There've been some, some pretty incredible things that have gone on. Uh, any other things that were inspirational to you or just mind blowing to you? Yeah, those, I mean, I can, I previously mentioned Doran as just like my main influence sure. and inspiration. I can't wait for his book to come out. I know it's in, in progress in terms of leading up to the big year. I, I'd say I had all of the, the classic inspirations, role models, Ken Kaufman. I mean, sure. Highway, the big year, the, the mark of Massic book and right as an accidental big year. I think he wrote or something like that. Yeah. You know, 
and then those were the the inspirations and after the fact i i think it seems like the the big year concept is in somewhat of a revolution in general and there was an article in birding recently about a guy that did a backyard big year that was pretty fascinating you know just just staying in one place and i mean he went to the extreme of recording nocturnal flight calls like yeah every migration night and then going through these tapes mm-hmm. and just pulling out birds. But I know people do that. I, I, it's a, an incredible talent. And, and... <laughs> yeah. and Dorian has mentioned this, like there's, there's so much opportunity for untraditional big years, like there are... public transportation, big years and just other takes on it. Um, yeah. That I'm kind of looking forward to. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think shorter periods of time are, are also cool i mean big days are really fun yeah. i mean i've done county big days and that's real i mean county big day you know we even in a county big day we drive a hundred a couple hundred miles sometimes zipping oh, here and yeah. zipping there but uh it, you know just other things i remember uh a fellow in seattle used to do uh for the birdathon the the fundraiser that many local Audubon societies do would do a public trans a big day, excuse me, public transportation oh, big day where wow. they just take bus rides from park to park and and they get a nice list doing that. Yeah. Uh, and one year I did a just city limits of Tacoma big day uh, for the Birdathon and that was fun. Uh, so this, all, I mean, you can slice it and dice it many a way. <laughs> you you really can, and that's the beauty of it. And I mean, that's where you derive the most enjoyment is, is making your own little goals. And, you know, it, it's fun to be competitive on a big scale, but it's also fun to just compete with yourself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, at my level of skill for birding, there's no way I'm ever competing with the with the really, really top birders. I mean, they just they're just better than I am. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's, and that's cool. Good for them. And good. <laughs> I'm glad they're out there finding birds, and that's all terrific. And and you know, that's okay. I don't have to be the best. I can just compete with myself and have my own fun. Uh, exactly. That's that's what it's all about. So, John, what's what's going forward for you? What do, what do you see uh, for yourself in birding and in uh, life in general? I am still birding like a madman. I mean, it, I was I was pretty upset when I came home, of course, and a little bit over it. I had a hard time thinking about the big year concept. But, I mean, COVID has been a little bit of a blessing in disguise for small things like yard listing. I've had a great time finding new yard birds, and I have decided to kind of take the professional track now. I'm I'm going to finally join a burn crew in Georgia, a prescribed okay. fire crew, which is mm-hmm. kind of a dream job. It's what I've always wanted to do, so I'll be I'll be living the in the professional swing of things for a while. Of course, birding as much as I usually do, which is, you know, as much as you can. Yeah. yeah. As far as a unicycle reviving unicycle big year idea, I, I can't say I have any solid plans for it. It, it. I planned it at a transitional time, you know, post-graduation. So sure. Yeah. If a, if a window opens up, if, if the world is the right place to do it, I'll, I might try it again. But for now I'm just, uh, yeah. Try to make a difference in the natural world. Yeah. I love Dorian's idea of, uh, what is he, he's, how many birds he can find within a bike ride of where he lives in, yeah. in, uh, Sam, does he live in San Francisco proper or right near San Francisco somewhere? Uh, and, uh, 
Yeah, he's got this. Yeah, he's got this incredible list going. He'll do a ride a hundred miles to get a bird. It's just crazy. It is. Yeah, Yeah, he's got his own little eBird profile for it, and you can yeah keep up with it. It's pretty awesome. It's it's you know the the games we play with ourselves (laughs) to to set challenges and stuff is is really fun. Well, John, it's really nice to catch up with you again. I appreciate you getting back with me. I encourage people who are interested to check out episode 31 from September 3, 2009 to to hear uh, the buildup to uh, John's big year. I'm glad that you got through it safely and had a great experience. And, uh, you know, as with many things in 2020, didn't work out the way it was planned. But, hey, it was a great, uh, great trip. Yeah, I had great talking with you and and reminiscing and and best wishes for the rest of the year. Hey, thanks so much. You take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Well, that wraps up the Burbaner podcast, episode number 77 with John Patton Moss. Thanks for listening. Big years, big days, they can be really cool. I know a lot of my listeners do a big something or other. I'm going to make sure that with this episode, as I do with all of my episodes, I leave a blog post on birdbanner.com uh, that gives links to some of the things we talked about and talks a little bit about big things. Uh, please leave a comment there, or I also put up a Facebook post or a Twitter post uh, on each for each of these episodes. So leave a comment either on Facebook or Twitter or on, by the blog post that tells me what you think is the coolest big year, big day, big something or other you've heard of or have done. I'd love to hear about them. And thanks for listening. Until next time, good birding. Good day.